Welcome to Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this next episode. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by professional trainer, keynote speaker, author, and business consultant, Denise Dudley is here on the program. Denise is also the founder and former CEO of Skillpath Seminars. They're the largest public training company in the world. They provide over 18,000 seminars a year, and they've trained over 12 million people around the world. Denise comes to the program and to our show today to share so much wisdom in areas including personal relationships, the art of communication, how to get ready for that career advance that you might be looking for. We're also going to be speaking about writing and what it takes to be a writer. I am so excited for you to meet Denise. So sit back, relax, and let's connect. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. I couldn't be more excited to introduce you to our guest this week. It's one of those moments when, uh, you know, something that you've been dreaming about for a long time comes into fruition. I met Denise Dudley back a few years ago now at a place called Rancho La Porta in Tecate, Mexico. It's uh, an incredible wellness spa that I often go to to teach yoga and lead seminars. And one particular week while at the ranch, I ran into Denise, who was also presenting at the ranch, and we immediately hit it off. Um, I feel like we're kindred spirits. She is such a positive force in the world. And although we haven't spent a lot of time together um, beyond that week at the ranch and we've kept in touch, it's like one of those people that you just feel like you know without knowing all the past history. So I'm excited to, to speak with Denise today and also introduce you to her and her incredible work in the world. And I'm excited to learn more too, just about what an incredible person she is. Uh, before we get into the conversation today with Denise, I uh, wanted to also just remind new listeners to subscribe to the podcast. Also, if you're looking for some positive motivation, feel free to sign up at my website, keithmcpherson.ca, for a positive quote that comes out every morning in your inbox. I call it my daily intention or quote, and I would love to inspire you. Also, if you're looking for some mindfulness, especially right now if you're going through the the COVID times of self-isolation that we're in, and even if we're beyond that and you're listening, um, you know, the world is an unpredictable and complex place to be at times. I, uh, I offer mindfulness training and opportunities to help you connect back to the present moment. So if this is something you're also interested in, please visit my website and um, yeah, consider signing up for uh, one of the mindfulness trainings available there. So I, I want to jump right in today to the conversation with Denise because I know that it's going to be full of, speaking of positive energy, a lot of positive energy. She's a, a force to be reckoned with. So without further ado, please meet my friend, Denise Dudley. Denise Dudley is here on the podcast. I've Since I've started this podcast, I've had you on my list to be a guest and you're finally here, and I'm so excited to uh, host you and tell everybody about you here on the podcast. Welcome. I'm so delighted to be here, and I'm just so happy to be seeing you, even via Zoom. <laughs> yeah, I know, the, the Zoom technology. <laughs> we're, uh, yeah. those listening right now, we're still in the middle of the, the pandemic lockdown, and, uh, you know, it's just such a timely topic, but I think it's so interesting, this self-isolation and... Uh, the way that we've, we're communicating these days through technology. I'm curious your perspective. How has that been for you 
since the uh, coronavirus? Well, for me, it's been it's been interesting because, as you know, and maybe some of your listeners know, I'm a, a psychologist, but I'm a professional speaker, so I'm on the road a lot. And in fact, it's a lot of the way I earn a living, frankly, the way I'm out there. So that's completely shut down since March. And everything that I had on my books for public speaking appearances was either postponed or canceled altogether. So I'm off the road. Now I'm isolating at home at my house in California with my cat and my dog. So I can't exactly say that I'm unhappy or miserable. (laughs) Sounds pretty Uh, dreamy. Fine. Yeah, it's actually fine. I'm just, I sort of upped my article writing, which is another thing I do for a living. And of course I do a lot of podcasts and a lot of guesting on all kinds of little radio shows and things. So I'm still busy, but being on the road and being in front of audiences, I do miss audiences because I miss the live interaction Mm -hmm. that I have always enjoyed with playing around with my audiences while I'm talking to them. So I miss that, but honestly, I'm happy and I'm fine. And, and I'm discovering too, that I already knew this about myself, but I'm actually really happy by myself. I I carry my happiness with me. And so I just have fun all the time, just hanging out with me, really. And it's so it's so true and genuine. I it's one of my memories spending time with you two at Rancho La Porta was just your your um the way that you show up, like your essence, that carrying your happiness with you. It's it's inherent. You can't make that up. And I'm I'm curious, just um who inspired you or how did you how did you show up this way in the world like this this idea of just the happiness yeah i you know i don't i don't have complete answers for it at least answers that would be helpful to other people i know from me and knowing my own history from what my family people have told me that my father told me that, that I was born smiling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was one thing that he always said that I came out, he was there mm-hmm. in the delivery room with my mother and that there I came out a little squirmy baby and I was smiling. That's exactly what he always told me about my birth. And then I had an uncle, he's passed on, so was my father, but my uncle Walt used to say to me, you are the smiliest kid I've ever seen. <laughs> so I think I just had this sort of, I don't know, this joy that I was born with. And I feel so lucky to be able to say that. Now, having said that, because I think that we should be thinking about our listeners too for your podcast, there could be people saying, well, that doesn't help me a bit because I wasn't born like that. (laughs) Right. So, (laughs) but I believe also that that happiness and this perspective is acquirable. Uh, I'm a behavioral psychologist, as you know, and I also believe that maybe I had a little bit of an advantage, maybe I had a leg up, maybe I was born lucky, but also we can make our own luck and we can make our own happiness and we can find our own joy. And I have many, many acquaintances and friends and even family members who weren't born happy, but became happy. So Mm. it can be done. It really can. Wow. I love that. And that really speaks to a lot of the work that you, you do in the world. I've witnessed some of your trainings and I'm familiar with some of your writing as well in the books. And I notice a lot of the work that you do is really helping people rise up to the greatest version of themselves and be successful. Um, I'm just curious. I mean, you probably get asked a million questions a day on all the, the media that you do. I don't want to be redundant, but I'm, I'm curious about somebody that might not be in the same mindset of, you know, born happy and they're trying to figure their life out right now and, you know, how to, how to kind of move forward in the world or rise up, so to speak, in the world. What kind of advice do you start with there? How do you help people in that regard? Well, one thing that I like to 
think about and and talk about with clients or even with audiences if it's a, an audience i'm speaking to is that i i believe that there is a i guess i'll call it a formula that i like to talk about and that is <laughs> is control what you can and then relinquish what you have to and both of those things are important that what I want to do in my life, if I'm looking at it and it's spinning out of control, or let's just talk about COVID right now. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it won't be around here forever, but it's here right now. So we might as well be in the here and now and talk about it. So there are some things that are absolutely out of our control right now. They're just not in our control. I'm in California where we're being asked to shelter in place. So we're doing that. We're being asked to wear masks. We're doing that. I do that willingly and with a smile on my face, even if you can't see my <laughs> smile under my mask. I'm smiling while I do it because I think it's the right thing to do. Those things aren't controllable, but there are many things that are always controllable in our lives. And so for people who are not feeling happy or joyful, people who are feeling a little bit like they're out of control, one of the things is to just do a little survey and say, what am I in complete control of? Because I'm in control of something. Even someone who's imprisoned, and we can read lots of books about people who've been released from prison, will say, ah, I'm in control of what's inside here. I'm in control of what's in my mind, at least, and I can think positive thoughts. I can substitute negative thoughts with positive ones. And I want to say something about that really quickly, because I read an article recently, and I I wish I could tell you where it came from, but it, it came from a fairly reliable source. And this researcher was saying that thought substitution, substituting positive thoughts uh, from your negative ones doesn't work. Yes, it does. <laughs> I, mm. I argue that it does work. And I've seen it work uh, many, many times with psychiatric patients I've worked with, with clients I've worked with, with all sorts of people, with business people I've worked with. So the idea of I'm thinking this thought of nothing is ever going to be better or I'm never going to get a job. I've been furloughed or laid off here from COVID-19. I'm never going to find another job. Substituting the thought of, wow, I am a talented person. I have many skills. I've had skills that have landed me jobs in the past. I will land another job with the skills that I have that I bring to the table. Substituting those positive thoughts for the negative ones really does work because it teaches us to think in that mode. And it helps us to, I'll call it suppress, if not entirely eliminate those thoughts that bring us fear or apprehension or hold us back. The saboteur is one of them, as you talk about in your book. Right. Yeah. Wow. I yeah. love this way of thinking. You're channeling my inner Louise Hay connection right now, just around, <laughs> around the positive <laughs> well, thoughts. Um, yeah. I'm curious too, you know, I, I hear people speak about what you're saying, like the, you know, change your thoughts to the positive. Um, I'm curious. I've also heard people speak about like how you tie an emotion to it to actually make it happen. Like the belief part of that what kind of advice would you give people in that regard to actually feel what they're thinking? Yes. Oh, that's such a very good question. And it, a lot of times if we can talk about the emotion or also the reward, which is a positive emotion, by the way, if I feel mm. rewarded or reinforced, it's a, a feeling of satisfaction or happiness or success or whatever we want to call that particular emotion. So a lot of times if I'm thinking about the positive thought, I want to also tie into that Well, if I think this positive thought, I substitute this positive thought, and then I go down that positive trail, what will be the outcome? Ah, I will have landed this job I love, or I will have met my mate whom I haven't met yet. I'm out there still dating, but that mate is out there. I know they are. So attaching the emotion of how it's going to feel once I've accomplished this thing, or once I've 
moved beyond whatever is holding me back is a really good way to, in a sense, promise, I'll call it behaviorally, promise ourselves a reward if we continue along the positive track that we are trying to develop in our minds right now. Oh, I love that. That's such a great piece of advice is just to, to make the incentive part of it to, uh, to change your thinking as well. Yes, wow. yes. And you know, a lot of times when people work with weight loss, which can be a big issue for people, we talk about, you know, we want to make sure we come from the positive rather than saying, there is something wrong with me that I need fixing. I am not okay right now. I have to fix this, which is really a very negative mindset. I want to speak to myself with love and with appreciation and with a promise of something fun afterwards, such as I am going to feel so much better running up those steps. So I, I try to give myself some kind of a wonderful motivation that gives me that, that preliminary joy, which is an emotion mm -hmm. and pushes me toward the goal rather than pushing me away from something that's a negative in my life. Right. I know so often I hear people dreading and I've, I'm guilty of this. This happens too, where you just, you're, you're dreading something that's coming and it's sort of like the, the fear of, Ooh, I, I don't know if I can, you know, you talk a lot about going into a, an interview or a new situation and to, to, to shift the mindset. I just love what you're saying around that, that perspective. Yeah. 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 And with those things like interviews or first dates, which I always say when I'm talking to audiences about personal <laughs> relationships, I always say a first date, by the way, is just like a job interview, isn't it? It's it's you're meeting someone, you're trying to put your best foot forward, you're you're doing all you can to, I guess I'll call it sell your assets <laughs> and minimize your liabilities, I suppose. Uh -huh. <laughs> Not in any way that's deceitful, but just in a way because you, you want to present yourself well. So in those situations, I always encourage people to see it like a fun game. Like you like you just showed up at a tennis match or a chess mass match or whatever it is your that's your thing, a fun or you're about to do a crossword puzzle or whatever that thing is that gives you excitement that you would like to participate in and and nail and win will approach that job interview like that like you can throw any question you want at me because i see this as a very cool opportunity to answer it to the best of my ability and dazzle you so you know if you go in with that sort of like i can't wait to get here motivation you go in sparkling rather than apprehensively <laughs> oh, i love it i love it i as i'm listening to you speak too i'm so aware of the the wide range of topics that you cover in your work over i'm imagining over the years i mean being a clinical psychologist but then developing the skill path seminars and just working as a um, somebody that's also trained and certified in aids and um aids awareness is that what we would we would say i mean there's just so many topics that we could talk about um I'm curious from you right now, like what are you most passionate about um, when it comes to topics to, to teach about and to lead about? Wow, I love your question. I, I think my favorite always boils down generically, I guess I'll call it, to how to be an excellent communicator because I think that it really bridges so much to truly be with another person, to be present, to, to be making eye contact, to not be interrupting and listening to what they say, but honestly hearing it and thinking about it before I respond to you so that I haven't just jumped back in. How I look, my facial expression, what I'm doing with my body, all of those things very subtly communicate whether I am really with you or not. And I think the biggest gift that I believe I can give to my audiences 
whether I'm in person, which I'm not right now, or Zooming or even writing, or I'm on a phone call with someone or a radio show, I, I believe that talking about good communication and its importance in relationships is my favorite thing. I just have this belief that if we all were better at being with one another and saying what we think lovingly and politely and listening to the other person and what's coming from their hearts and their minds, the world would be a better place. I'm sure it would be. So that's my biggest mission right now, I think. What a vision and mission, too. Um, It's interesting with communication. I I was reading an article. It was actually 10 years ago the article was and the study was done. It was uh, a Harvard business study, and they were talking about how the human mind tends to wander 47% of the time on average, 10 years ago. That's almost half the time our mind wanders. And I imagine, you know, 10 years later, um, yeah. we, we're, we've left the building most of the time when you talk about <laughs> presence. <laughs> how, yeah. how do you, like, do you have any suggestions on how to bring yourself into that present moment communication where you really show up with the person and, and dance the dance? Yeah. Yes, it's it's so important. And it's true that, of course, anybody who's a psychologist or a clinical social worker got trained in listening skills. So we spent a lot of time thinking and talking about how to really be with the person. But I can also tell you that there are times with any of us, no matter how good we are, we're, we're distracted. We're thinking about something else rather than being with one another in the present tense. So first of all, I often tell people, if you really want to show up and be fully present, Give yourself as many breaks as you possibly can. In other words, set up your environment for success. And that could mean several things. First of all, it would mean that I want to clear my mind. I want to just not have anything on on my agenda that would supersede me listening to you in the present tense right now fully. So in other words, if I need to return a phone call, do it ahead of time. Then put your phone away and don't have it out. Sometimes I even suggest to people that you create an environment. Let's just say you and I sit down and we're having a visit and you're trying to tell me something really important, but we're sitting in a position where I see people, we're in a cafe, let's say, and there are people walking past behind you over and over and over again and looking in the window of the cafe. I might even do something as, as bold as say, could we please trade places so that I can just see you and the wall and give you my undivided attention. Now, sometimes when I tell people that they, they laugh and I say, but imagine if you said that to someone, would they not feel so honored? Like, wow, this person really wants to get me. So having the, I guess I'd say the, the nerve to say, let's trade, let's trade spots so that I can be with you and not all the people walking by on the street outside in Winnipeg here. Uh, <laughs> so doing that sort of thing really can make a difference. So set your environment up for success, clear your mind, put away distractions. And then I love talking about paraphrasing because paraphrasing does a couple of things. Paraphrasing, which which is something that you do learn as a therapist, but all people can learn it. It's, and it's a valuable skill to have. Paraphrasing means that you're going to talk to me and I'm going to listen and I'm going to, I'm going to wait for you to break, we'll say up in a paragraph. So you come and you, you tell me something and you get about a paragraph out of your information. I say back something, one or two sentences that should hit on right on the head, exactly what it was you were saying to me. And a good paraphrase does not add to or subtract from whatever it is you are saying. It's just an accurate restatement of what you've said. Now, why would I suggest that? For two big reasons. The first one is that if I make myself be committed to paraphrasing, 
I am going to listen to you mm. because I don't want to not get it right. So if I commit to paraphrasing, I will focus. The second thing is that paraphrasing back to you, whatever it is you're trying to tell me, gives you back more energy to continue with your story. I know it's probably happened to any of us where we're trying to tell somebody something and they're going, oh, mm, okay, yeah, oh, too bad. And they're not really giving us anything back. And you just run out of steam like, eh, this person doesn't really want to hear what I'm saying. And usually you give up, which you probably should because they're not listening. Right. So if I can give you back a paraphrase, I've given you the response that you need to know we're on the same page and you can keep talking. Yeah, and to be heard, I imagine, too. That I, I'm being heard yeah. and I see you and, and you see me. Yeah, and, yeah. wow, yeah. amazing. Curious, I was as you were speaking about this as well, something that was uh, reminding me, oftentimes people get into situations where they feel socially awkward. So it's another kind of lens to look at this through where you're, you know, you're at a cocktail party or you're at an event and some people just end up being wallflowers because they don't know how, like their problem is they don't know how to actually communicate, like to speak. Yeah. What, yeah. How, would, how do you approach that in those kind of scenarios for somebody in that well, situation? I wish it's all, it's all so learnable. And I, I wish that if there were a person in this situation who's listening to you, if they could, if they could possibly get some training, this is also trainable. And of course, I'm coming from, from a position of being a behaviorist. But interestingly enough, because I do want to share this, when we talk, uh, we I actually work at one university with shy students. I do a shyness series. Oh. And so when we, and it's exactly for that. It's for now I'm a freshman in college. I don't know how to talk to people. I'm going to these events. I don't know what to do. I'm standing on the sidelines. So what we do behaviorally is we break I'll even call it cocktail party talk into units, which can be learned. And so there, and if we break it down, it really helps because we can say going to a cocktail party and being able to interact with people actually involves a complex and independent set of skills that could be acquired one at a time. So for instance, we actually teach, I teach a unit called breaking into ongoing conversations. That's pretty behavioral, isn't it? Very. But that would be one thing that you could naturally do and not think about if you were good at cocktail party chatter. You would know what to do. But to a person who's a little bit socially shy, they don't see the cues that you might see naturally. So when we talk about breaking into ongoing conversations, what we teach is don't try to break into a conversation where the people are nose to nose and talking about something that seems very confidential or, or emotional, don't break into that conversation. You won't get in. Break into a conversation where people are standing slightly farther apart, where it seems sort of casual, where it looks like they themselves are looking around a little bit and looking for others to possibly join them. Break into that conversation. So we teach little units like that, how to introduce yourself. Also, here's one that people have trouble with, including me, how to end a conversation, how to move on. <laughs> That one's hard. And so hard. a lot of people, it's hard. And a lot of people will tell me later, it's not that I'm afraid to walk up to people. I don't want to get stuck because <laughs> <laughs> then I won't know, you know how to move on. <laughs> so we actually practice things like saying, gosh, it's been really nice to meet you. And I'll talk to you a little bit later. I'm going to go meet a few other people or whatever your phrase is. But we actually Brilliant. teach people a sentence so that they feel equipped with an exit strategy. Wow. So all of those things are trainable. And it's smart to think of them in small units rather than a big amorphous 
how do I go to a cocktail party and and ace it? I know? love breaking so, it down. One one piece yeah. that I'm curious about is in this breakdown of these units is um, the scenario where you you end up in the conversation, but you don't know what to say, and it's just like the awkward <laughs> silence. Like, what do you do in that scenario? <laughs> That's, that's so hard. We're all afraid of those, they call it the pregnant pause, you know, right. like, oh, we're all just waiting to, for someone to say something. And yeah, it, that can be very, very awkward. And, and again, if we can teach somebody, a lot of times it starts out feeling a little bit stilted, but it is a good thing that we can teach people to say something like, wow, I've never thought of it from that perspective, or that's a really interesting angle you've just shared with me. Maybe it's not even completely true, but it gives you a chance to say something back to someone. Um, I actually, I got quoted once being polite. <laughs> this is at a, at a kind of a, a political convention. And somebody who knows me well heard someone say something to me that was not on my side of the politics. You know, basically, I'm not going to go into politics here. But apparently, I was quoted as saying, well, I can imagine that could create some problems for some people. <laughs> so it was like the most generalized thing I could possibly say because <laughs> I didn't want to get into an argument, you know. So, right. <laughs> so I, I can't believe I said that, but I sort of can because I could imagine that I just didn't want to get into a big argument. But uh, but coming up with some kind of a, a sentence that bridges it and allows you to move on is a good thing. Yeah. Also, being able to do what you're doing as an interview right, interviewer right now, and that's to be able to have a few questions lined up so that when we're talking to people, asking open-ended questions and even if it does change the subject a bit at least it allows the conversation to continue on right i try to suggest to people that they are careful with their questions because i believe that i don't necessarily have a right to ask someone a question that is invasive so it it probably needs to be something that they are excited and happy to talk about rather than something that seems like it's a little bit going too far into their personal life. Yeah. And I always caution people to, to be careful asking questions that would force them into having to say something about themselves that they may not want to say. So I have a couple examples of those things. Talking about instantly jumping in and saying, well, you know, what, do, what church do you go to? Oh my gosh, what if they go to a synagogue? What if they go to a mosque? So mm. you don't ask that question. Or if I'm talking to you as a man, I say, do you have a wife? wow, what if you have a same-sex partner? So I don't really want to ask a question that makes them have to then come back and say, well, actually, because they may not want to share that with me and they don't have to. Right. So I try to think of questions that would never invade a private space. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And, you know, in the day and age we're in now, too, I feel like we're in a time where people are almost at times very sensitive, like you might even say overly sensitive about just all of the the rules and the, you know, the acceptance of all the different uh, races and equalities. And it's like, it's very hard to know what question to ask and not ask without offending somebody in, in this yes, day. And it's, true. What, what's, it's true. How do we navigate that? What's your thoughts on that? Well, generally anymore when I'm, when I'm asking people questions, because I, it, like, here's a question that I never really enjoy at a cocktail party. The what do you do question. What do you do? Uh, for me, it just seems like, oh, don't make me talk about what I do. I'd rather <laughs> talk about something else. It's just like, And it also seems like an obvious question. So I made myself a commitment about, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago that I wouldn't ask anyone that ever again. Wow. So I don't actually. 
and it's fun because that makes me have to think of something else. So a lot of times I'll just ask somebody something like, what is the most fun thing you've done in the past week? And so it, so it really will work for anybody. What's the most fun thing you did in this whole past week? Great. Well, if you went to Paris, you're going to get to tell me you went to Paris. But let's just say you're a person who can't travel. You don't have that sort of socioeconomic status. Well, the most fun thing you did last week was run through the sprinklers in the street in Brooklyn. All right. That's cool, too. So I, I think those questions are much more fun. And it also, generally speaking, when you ask a question like that, gets people feeling more relaxed and more playful, yeah. which truly I prefer relaxed, playful conversations yeah. really to pretty the other on the other type. I feel that from you too. Wow. It's it, actually uh, speaking with you in this way. It's like, um, it's, it's reminding me of like that piece you said earlier about everything, approaching everything sort of like a game, like or, with the sense of excitement yeah. and, and the, yeah. dis- the discoveries, another word I think of with you, it's just like the curiosity of it all. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah, it is fun. It's so fun. It, it just can make meeting people and talking to people fun rather than a chore. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm also thinking here as you're speaking about um, just communication is the base in a lot of different scenarios. You know, I, I know you've done a lot of work as well and research and writing on um, just getting a job, especially your, your current book, setting young people up for success. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I want to transition into that a little bit just because I want to highlight your book and let people know about the current work you're doing. Um, so if, if we were to just transition into that a little bit, communication when uh, in the workplace these days, I'd just love to get some insight from you. What's, uh, what would be some advice you'd give somebody kind of up and coming in the workplace environment to, to succeed? Well, well, right now it's, it's a whole different world and we don't know what's going to happen next. If you were asking me this in February mm-hmm. or January, I would be talking about face-to-face job interviews. I would be talking about how to shake hands, how to walk into the room, how to yeah. really rock whatever it is you're wearing. <laughs> from, from you know, for right now, rocking whatever it is you're wearing is from your shoulders on up. <laughs> isn't that isn't <laughs> so, that true? <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, yeah. And people report that all the time that they're sitting in their underwear, but they look fabulous from their waist on up. So, uh, and actually, who cares? It doesn't matter. <laughs> so, uh, so really, things have changed, and right now. We're not shaking hands. We're not walking into offices. I'm not handing you an extra copy of my resume. Things that you would see in my book that are really common practice and, and honestly good advice, but not happening right now. So there's there have been shifts. For one thing, any kind of a, approaching a, a potential employer is probably going to be done by emailing in your resume, never bringing it in, never snail mailing it even because no one is there to receive it. So you'll usually be emailing in your resume and you'll be emailing in your cover letter. I talk to people a lot about cover letters that when you are applying for a job now or pre-COVID or hopefully someday post-COVID, the resume and the cover letter are very, very important because whether the job interview was in person or via Zoom right now or FaceTime or even Skype. People don't talk much about Skype anymore. I wonder where the Skype people are these days. I think I think Zoom might be I, winning. I think anyway, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, what? However, it is you do your job interview, it, unless it's recorded, which it could be. That comes and goes, and people are thinking about you later on, and they're thinking about your answers or how you presented yourself. But your resume 
sticks around forever. And so, mm. and it can be looked at again, it can be passed on, it can be scanned and emailed to someone else, it can go in a file, it can be lots of things, but it stays. So I always tell people that resume must be perfect. And when I say perfect, I actually mean perfect. It cannot have a, an error, whether that's a typo or a syntax error, error or even a style error, as in you start with bullet points and then you suddenly go to ABC and then you suddenly go to one, two, three on your resume, that's actually a style error. So you make sure that your resume is perfect and then you also make sure that your cover letter is personalized. And you may have listeners out there who are looking for a job right now. And I know when I mentioned this, everybody groans and says, oh, that just creates so much more work. Yeah. It would, yes, I agree. That it would be much easier to, to scattershot 2 million resumes out there randomly and just see what comes back. But if you're really interested in landing a job, what you want to do is make sure that you've put a, a personal cover letter with your resume to a real person or to a real company that expresses your desire to land their job, not just a job. Hmm. In other words, you want to be, you want to look like you're interested in the job they are offering, not just, I need a job. So I'm sending a resume to you. Hmm. So, and I, I suspect in us and Canada, both that we've, well, many of us have been laid off, furloughed or even terminated. And so when it comes time to rehire, there's going to be a lot of competition. There's going to be more competition than ever right now. Yeah. I imagine. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, I'm curious too, like for people that um, do have jobs, they've gotten past the interview process and they're in a company and they're wanting to work their way up to, you know, uh, the top. Um, I'd love to hear some tips or perspective from you about, you know, what would you suggest to somebody that's starting out, they're in the job, they want to move up and uh, from like, you know, manager to senior manager and maybe eventually CEO. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a very worthy goal. And, and some of what I'm going to say may sound, well, I, I'm trying to think of a good word for it. So do I get to say kiss ass on your show? You can say That's, anything you want on my show. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this might sound sort of kiss ass. I was trying to think of a better word. Yeah, kiss ass is fine. <laughs> okay, kiss ass. This might sound kind of kiss ass, but it's reality. And I, it's funny you're asking me this question because I was thinking about it this morning. I was literally having these thoughts and I was thinking, you know, I, I actually wrote an article about it recently. And I think it went into, I don't know what magazine it went into, but it, it really was saying... Uh, if you want to get promoted, keep your boss happy. And that's kind of true. Now, that doesn't mean to be a kiss ass. It doesn't mean that you bring your doesn't mean that you bring your boss a Starbucks every morning. I don't mean that. I just mean try to read your boss. This really is important because your boss does have the ability to say good things about you, to give you a good evaluation, which does go into your record or also to suggest you for a promotion to other departments or other people who are higher up than they are even. Mm. And if your boss doesn't feel well served by you, then your boss is probably either not going to want to promote you or may not even notice you as a potential person to promote. Yeah. Now, I do want to clarify what I mean by keeping your boss happy. So it's not the Starbucks every morning. It means doing your job really well. So whatever your job is, if that's answering the phone as a customer service representative, or if that means that you're going to get on and make 10 sales calls by 10 a.m. and that's the rule, or it means you're going to get out on the floor of the local department store and sell socks, whatever it is, 
just see if you can align yourself with what your boss really wants you to do. And the first thing is to make sure that you really do do it. Now, sometimes there, your boss is talking in code, so to speak. Mm. So let's just say your boss walks into your office and you're sitting there working away and your boss comes in and says something like, by the way, have you ever gotten back to the such and such people on the third floor about the whatever thing? And you thought that was a low priority. Oh no, it was a high priority because they thought of that without a note in their hand. Huh. So the next thing you better do is get to the people on the third floor about the thing they brought up oh, because God. they are really telling you in their own subtle way that was important to me. Mm. So making sure we read those little signals is a very good idea. Then of course, of course, working hard, that helps. Also taking on extra projects, that helps. Often volunteering to do things. We'll say if you do come from a large office, volunteering to, to handle the next holiday party invitations or volunteering to get out there and organize your next, uh, your next group volunteer effort with the homeless or doing those sorts of things does get you noticed because it means that you like your company and your work enough that you're willing to do a little bit of extra even on your own time to make them successful. Wow. How does one balance um, being in the, the sort of the kiss-ass description you just named and also being true to themselves um, and being able to say no or have the hard conversation and still move up? Yes, yes. And that's very, very important. So there are a couple things there. One of them is that I, I am the first person to understand that there are times in your life when you need a job, even if you don't really like what you're doing. I, we've maybe all of us been there. I certainly have where I haven't loved my job, but I've needed it in order to put myself through college, which I did and, or pay the bills, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that not loving what I do is not the same as not approving of what I do. So I have to make sure that first of all, whatever it is I'm doing is something that my heart and soul does at least believe in. I, I, I was on a podcast the other day, we were talking about a whole different thing, but I said, I could definitely sell Birkenstock shoes because, <laughs> I, because I love Birkenstocks. I understand every reason why they are wonderful things to, to wear on your feet. They just, for me, I could sell Birkenstocks, but could I sell certain, could I sell Coca-Cola? No, I really couldn't. I couldn't because I just don't feel great about Coca-Cola. I hope Coca-Cola is not one of your sponsors on your podcast right now. So but, far, no. <laughs> uh, so far, no. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Well, they probably won't be after this interview. But anyway, but, but the whole point is asking myself, first of all, do I believe in what I'm doing? Do I believe it's ethical and sound? And does it at least match who I am as a person? If I get a green light there, so in other words, I could sell Birkenstocks, even though I'm not a salesperson, couldn't sell Coca-Cola. Okay. So if I'm working selling Birkenstocks, Maybe I don't love it, but selling things, but I'm selling something I believe in. So establishing that first. And if for any reason you do ask yourself, do I feel like what I'm doing is right for the world? And it comes back, no, then I do think we should at least do our best to try to find something else that aligns ourselves with what it is we're doing to earn a living. Hmm. I will also say as quickly as I can that that might not be possible. It could be that you are stuck in some situation in a country or a city where there aren't other opportunities and you need to just go on selling Coca-Cola. Well, you know what? You're doing it because you're feeding your family or you're doing it because you have to pay your rent. You're doing it for whatever reason. So I don't want anyone to think that 
that you should just walk out and quit your job because you don't like what you're doing. It's not necessarily the safest thing to do for you and your family. Mm -hmm. But having said that, I'm just saying the background would be that I want to make sure I'm in alignment from there. Yes. Saying no to your boss. If they ask you to do too much work or if they ask you to do something you don't agree with, or if they're asking you to move in a direction that was not the direction you wanted to go, there is nothing wrong with standing up for yourself and saying, you know, really, I do need this weekend off. It's not something that I can provide for us right now. Generally, if I'm going to say no to my boss or to anybody, I want to offer them an alternative. Hmm. That's one of the ways that we can soften this. So I can say something like, I understand that you're looking for people to work on Saturday this Saturday, I actually have an obligation to my family. However, I'd be happy to come in early on Monday, see what I can do to finish up whatever didn't get done. So we try to offer something that is a little bit of a peace offering, I guess I'll call it, to soften my no. That will often help. That is great advice. I, I'm just thinking as I'm hearing you speak, Denise, You should. I would love to have an app called Denise Dudley. And it's... Um, <laughs> It would be kind of like paralleled after the Siri that the Mac has. It's like, or, you know, hey, Alexa, but it's like, hey, Denise, because you have just so much wisdom that oozes out of you. It's incredible. Well, thank you. Well, I feel the same about you. That's why we love each other. Uh, yeah, I feel the same about you. When I read your book, I thought, wow. Yeah. Just amazing. Yeah. One, one last question I have. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, what would Denise do here? Um, for <laughs> For people that are not maybe um, employed with a company, but more so maybe the entrepreneur, um, that's got to make an intimidating call to somebody that is a, a game changer in their field or whatnot. And, and it's, uh, you know, that feeling, the pre-jitters, I've got to call and ask for something. I'd love some advice. I mean, I find myself in this scenario a lot. That's why I'm asking selfishly here. You know, these, these moments where you're just like, you know, I want to call up Paul McCartney and ask him to, to jam, which has been a dream of mine. How do you prepare yourself to, to ask for something without coming across, you know, egoic or they're going to say no and all the fear attached to it? How do you move into that space of confidence? I love all your questions, Keith. So for one thing, it's, so one thing is that I believe that that giving ourselves, because I believe in the power of positive thought, giving ourselves a little bit of a scan, you know, like how you, how you could do body scanning with your body mm. and check up whether you're tense and relax your muscles or do whatever. Well, you can also do kind of a, I guess I'll call it a psyche scan and say, here's who I am. Who am I? So I am Keith McPherson. I am a great guitarist. I have a great voice. I've written all kinds of lovely songs. I've absolutely thrilled audiences. I do have skills. I have a skill set. So calling up Paul McCartney right now isn't so far-fetched because I bring a lot to the table. Uh -huh. Now, he is Sir Paul McCartney, by the way. <laughs> when you call him, make sure you don't forget that part. Right. So uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, don't forget he's Sir Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to make sure you know that part. But truly, like making sure that I review myself for, let's say that, I want to meet Michelle Obama, which I'd love to meet her. So I haven't met her, but I would like to. Yeah. Well, before I go there, I want to make sure that I think to myself, all right, I am a person with a skill set, and I'm also a nice person, and I also have accomplished things that she might want to hear about, but mostly, what could I do to support her? What could I do to, to help her in her in her vision. Uh, so also thinking to, of the other person, like what could, going back to you, what could you do for Sir Paul McCartney? Plenty of stuff. 
You're Keith McPherson. Sure. You live in Winnipeg, a very cool city. Uh, you're a Canadian. Uh, he's British. So, you know, you've got the Canadian thing going here. So, you know, you just remind yourself of all. The, and you're just also just such a lovely, lovable person. Well, so you. you remind yourself of all those things before you make the call or before you go walking up to shake hands with him. Yeah. And you, you remind yourself, I'm me and I have great value. Now, selling yourself that way, it's important to, to not come across. I always, when I talk to especially graduating students, when they're going to go to a, a job interview, I say, we need to make sure that we distinguish confidence from cockiness oh, because yeah. cockiness comes off in a way that makes people want to avoid us. It's not a likable trait. Confidence, a likable trait, because it seems that we're in control, that we know ourselves, that we're capable of explaining what we're good at, as well as, as explaining what we're not so good at. In other words, we're just truthful about ourselves. But we want to avoid the cockiness thing, because that definitely will make Paul McCartney or Michelle Obama run from both of us. Right. So there's a difference. <laughs> what a great distinction between confidence and cockiness. Um, yeah. And how do you move into the more confident space versus the, the cockiness place? I believe that it comes behaviorally because I, if we think about, if I try to think about a person I know right now who's, who's come off as cocky, and, and you could probably think about the same mm -hmm. thing in your life, someone who is cocky. Well, I try to think, I try to ask myself, and this is what I do as a behaviorist when in any situation, when someone tells me something, I, I go back and say, what does that person either do or not do or say or not say that leads you to believe what you have just told me about them? That's the first question I ask someone when they when they come to me, especially if I'm an employer. You know, I had a big company called Skillpath that I sold. If someone comes and says so and so is being whatever, that's what I ask. I say, what is it that they have said or done or not said or done that has led you to come to tell me this? And then they'll usually say, well, they were really loud and they yelled at me. Well, they shook their finger at me. Well, they told me what to do and then they marched out of the room without saying thank you. Well, they, they'll come up with something and then we have something to work with. And it's, I, I have to look for a behavior. Mm -hmm. So now going back to cocky people, what do cocky people do when you actually later go, wow, that person was cocky. Okay, let me ask you that right now, Keith. So what, think of a cocky person. What did they do or not do or say or not say that made you think they were cocky? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is they just talked all about themselves. There was like absolutely no interest in anybody but their own story. Yes, just whoop, not there. Yep, just, yeah. Sure, uh -huh. yeah, I think that. Yeah. I also think somebody too, it's like a energy to them too. It's like kind of a, I don't know, they're just, they feel like they're bigger than everybody else around them. So they don't, um, yeah. but it's not necessarily genuine. So I kind of pick up energetically that that piece too. Yeah, you yeah. bet. Yeah, it's, uh, those are very, very good examples of somebody who speaks only about themselves, seems to have no particular interest in the other person, uh -huh. doesn't even pause to see if the person has anything to say back or anything to share. Another thing that I watch with cocky people is how they interact with not just me, if they're trying to sell me on something, but how did they interact when the server came and brought us more iced tea? Or how did they interact when someone opened the door for them? Because cocky people often tend to be so into themselves that they aren't polite to others. And that's a big one for me, just almost observing how did you behave to the people around you as well? You're trying to sell me on something, so I know that you're going to be super nice to me. But how are you around all the other people 
who are peripheral during our interaction. Right. And I pick up on happiness that way too, is how they're behaving toward others. Sure. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And so to become aware too, I imagine, of just how am I showing up in every scenario? Wow. Yeah. True. I it's love true. this. I love this. I have so I have like a, fil- a zillion questions, but I have one more I want to just zone in on if you're all right. It's um just just around like the writing process. Um you know, I'm curious just when you were working on your book, how did yeah. you put that together and what what's the writing process like for you as an author? Wow. Well, I've written a lot in my life. And I was not necess- I didn't necessarily see myself as a writer, but I got identified as a writer, so to speak, by others. So in other words, it didn't come from inside of me, like, oh, I want to write a bunch of stuff. In, in high school, actually, I came from a really large high school near Chicago, we'll say, like, you know, down in the United States. And I got taken out of the, our average English class and put into a writing class. And there were only maybe six or eight of us in there in the whole in the whole high school. And so, and that was for all the years of high school. So in other words, six or eight of us in a, a high school of many thousands of students, but I had an amazing writing teacher in high school who made us write, 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 write. And I still didn't think of myself as a writer at all. And then I went to college. Of course, you write a lot in college and you certainly write a lot if you're gonna get a PhD and all those things. But I still didn't think of myself as a writer. I just wrote. And then when I became clinical director of this corporation of psychiatric hospitals, I ended up being given, just because no one else could or wanted to do it, I was given the task of writing the corporate magazine. It's like, oh, really? I'm already writing grants and I'm already, you know, writing training things and now I'm writing a corporate magazine. But it was really good for me because I had to write articles on you know, a nurse who got promoted in one of our facilities or someone who was retiring. Or, and I had to write a whole different type of writing, wow. which was conversational and sort of, you know, folksy and positive and, and upbeat. And that's, that's, I guess, the point in my life where I realized, yeah, you know, people are going to keep identifying me as a writer and I might as well just be writing. So then I, I actually ended up, believe it or not, teaching business writing. Now, this wasn't something I tried to teach, but one of my things I taught for quite a while was a a seminar called Powerful Business Writing Skills, and it had to do with how how to write in business. But I approached it as if it were writing friendly letters. And so I really talked to my audiences about there is absolutely no reason to write things like to whom it may concern or heretofore, unto, and per our conversation. Write like you (laughs) talk. You're key. Hi, how have you been? I'm great. I wanted to get together with you and talk about... So I was teaching audiences how to write like that. It was honestly one of the most fun things I've ever done, ever, of all the classes I've taught. And I I have other favorite topics, but freeing people to write like they talk, to write conversationally, was one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. And I feel like I freed thousands of people in my seminars <laughs> to just go write. So I felt like I was like a, a, a Johnny Appleseed of, of positive, friendly writing. So at that point, then I decided, yeah, Denise, you are a writer. So, yeah. <laughs> so then I started writing books, you know, and I've done a lot of ghost writing, you know, because I, I for Skillpath, my company, I was writing lots of stuff I never actually got or took credit for because it was just handbooks we were, we were selling at our seminars and things. So I did a lot of writing at that point. So I've just kind of gone down the road of writing 
in the beginning, almost kicking and dragging my feet and saying, I'm not a writer. And then in the end, it's been like, yeah, I guess I do write. And now um, I just write. I just, you know, I just sit down and if I have to write an article, I just say, okay, I can write. So I just sit down and write. It's never something that I, that I can't wait to do. You know, if it's, if you were asking me, what's your favorite thing in the world, it wouldn't be to sit and write. It'd be to go take a hike on a hill, but it would, but, <laughs> but writing, <laughs> isn't it for all of us, you know, moving around, not working, but, but sitting down at my desk to write is sedentary by nature. Yeah. And I don't love sedentary jobs. So I have to make myself sit down and I have to make myself write. How, and, how do you do that? How, what's the, what's the game or the, the trick that gets you into the zone of writing? I'm so curious on that. Knowing that I have to do it for one thing. So I'm just like every bad kid in the world, you know, like my teacher gives me an assignment. You know? So I have, I have an assistant I work with and she says things like, you know, you have an article due. And I go, yes, okay, I'll write it. So sometimes I just have to have my teacher tell me to do it. That's my assistant. Or a magazine is waiting on something and they're saying, you know, you're supposed to be sending us this. And yeah. So definitely having a deadline helps me. But also... The other thing that's more important is being motivated to write something that I think is valuable. Mm. So a lot of times I'll get asked if I can cover a topic by a magazine or an e-zine and it'll be like, oh gosh, I don't know if I really, I don't get too motivated at certain topics and then other topics get me very, very excited. So if I can, if I can write about something I really like, and of course, one of the rules of writing, which you'll hear, everyone hears is write what you know too. write what you know. So Mm. If I got asked to write something that I really don't know about, then that's kind of, my heart isn't in it. But if I feel like I know it, I've either experienced it or I've learned it, either through really literally official academic training, or I've just learned it by living life, then I feel more qualified to be able to write it. So uh, I guess that I, so to summarize what I just said, it helps me to have a deadline. It helps for me to like what I'm writing. And it definitely helps for me to feel like I know what I'm talking about. Wow. I love that. <laughs> You're such an inspiration. My goodness. I, like, I can't stop. But there's, I, I would be unhappy with myself if I didn't ask one last question about Skill Paths. I've been, I've been so curious about this company since I met you, Skill Path. I mean, and you're such a humble person that, um, and I didn't, I don't think I asked you when I met you. I took your tip without knowing it. I didn't ask you, what do you do? But I came, <laughs> I came to learn about SkillPath, and it's pretty amazing. And just from my audience, I'd love to just hear your perspective of what is SkillPath, what inspired you okay. to start it, and um, yeah, I just, I just love to hear that before before we close up our podcast here. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so SkillPath is it's still in business. It's of course with COVID public seminars are shut down right now as would be with any seminar or training company. But if we go back in time to when I owned, which I haven't owned it for a very long time. So I was, so it's one of those stories I have to try to condense. I was the clinical director of a corporation of psychiatric hospitals, which I've already mentioned. So I was the director of 18 different hospitals, long-term chronic psych, but I was also the director of training. So I, have a lot of different licenses and certificates that allow me to provide continuing education credits or units to healthcare professionals of all different sorts. So what I was doing for the corporation was taking care of the clinical aspects of the psychiatric hospitals, but I was also doing the training. So I would go into all of these 18 hospitals and train the staff. So 
during that time, I, I really got better and better, I guess I'll say, at, at training, at standing up in front of audiences and talking, all different sizes. And then I got noticed and started doing bigger and bigger audiences and bigger and bigger mental health conferences and psychiatric conferences and working with just different groups of people as a keynote speaker and loving it. So I had lots of fun doing that. And then finally, I learned so much about training and also about creating seminars because I was writing all my own material. So I wasn't just teaching psychiatric work to psych, you know, psychiatric nurses and such. I was also teaching communication, management, supervision, all kinds of things that we might consider more like soft skills instead of technical skills for a hospital. And I'd written so many seminars and I'd already written my own material. And then I actually did go to work for another seminar company that Skillpath ended up purchasing actually, but I started at another seminar company and learned quite a bit from them and being on the road and being a professional speaker and then decided it was time to found my own. And so I had a partner and the two of us founded our company together, Skillpath Seminars, grew it to become the world's largest training company. And it was a great ride. It was so much fun. And we just really enjoyed doing what we did. We were successful, but we also had incredible fun around along the whole way. And, and it's that thing where if we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, if you can find that joy and you can be, you can find whatever makes you feel joyful, it just gives you back so much energy that work isn't even work. You just can't wait to do what you're going to do because it's, it's pure fun, actually. Wow. Yeah. And I, I just feel that the entire conversation with you, I, um, you said born smiling. I mean, if I could write <laughs> a, a biography on Denise Dudley, it might be called born smiling. Because you just bring that with you everywhere you go. And I just feel so blessed to know you, my friend. And uh, all the love and the wisdom that you share with our world. Thank you for, for blessing us. And being here on the podcast today, too. I just totally appreciate your time here on the podcast, oh, too. It means everything to me that you would ask me. I mean that. I would do anything for you. And, and you know I love you. And it's true. I love and you, too. And we're connected. But but thank you for those beautiful compliments. And they went right into my heart and I heard them. And thank you. Oh, yeah. And it's mutual. Ditto back at you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Denise. Well, we'll, uh, we'll send everybody to your site as well. DeniseMDudley.com. Go check it out. I want to make sure I get the name of the book right. Work It. Get In. Is that right? Get In. Yes. Get Noticed. Get Promoted. I love, the, right I love that formula. <laughs> so check yeah. this out, right? Work it, get in, get noticed, get promoted, and uh, stay in touch with Denise. She's such an amazing person. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me, and take good care. All right. All right. Well, that concludes another conversation here on Let's Connect. I hope you're feeling as inspired and as positive as I am right now after hearing the words and wisdom of Denise Dudley. Her book is called Work It. Her website is denisemdudley.com. And until next time, everybody, be well, stay in touch, and please consider joining me on the next episode of Let's Connect. 